0: To the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we read from Second Chronicles chapter 10. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam the son of Nebat heard of it, for he was in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt, and they sent and called him, And Jeroboam and all Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, Come to me again in three days. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? And they said to him, If you will be good to this people and please them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us. The young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus shall you speak to the people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions." So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered them harshly, and forsaking the counsel of the old men, King Rehoboam spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, For it was a turn of affairs brought about by God that Yahweh might fulfill his word, which he spoke by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. And when all of Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, What portion have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Each of you to your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, David. So all Israel went to their tents, But Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Hadaram, who was taskmaster over the forced labor, and the people of Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam quickly mounted his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. This is the word of the Lord. Difficult text in the sense that here we see the divide of God's people, the kingdom torn in two, and it's even more difficult when we recognize that it's a punishment God has given because Israel was faithless. That's our context. The United Nation, the one kingdom of God's people, the 12 tribes of Israel no longer one nation. They fall into two. So what happens? Well, Rehoboam is taking over as king in his father's place. Solomon has passed away. So Solomon, the son of David, David took over after Saul had passed away. So Rehoboam is just Israel's fourth king. That's all the time Israel made it. And that's immediately on the heels of great military conquest under David for 40 years and great wealth and prosperity under Solomon for 40 years. And yet, what did all that bring? See, the, the outcome of this is based on God's own word. The fall, the divide into two kingdoms, occurred Actually, because of what King Solomon had done, it is punishment against Solomon. So I'm going to take you to that first Kings 11 chapter before we're done today, but that's an important contextual note to have in mind. On the surface, it wouldn't look like that. On the surface, it looks like one man makes a really foolish choice and pays the consequences for that. And I hope you'll be able to have that conversation really in both directions as a family together on this text. So Rehoboam goes to Shechem. Shechem is located 30 miles to the north of Jerusalem. The idea of going there is a little bit peculiar at this point. Jerusalem is the capital. Uh, To be anointed king could easily have happened in Jerusalem. So maybe there's already a note in Rehoboam's mind that there is some disdain for his king kingship, for his rule, and so he's going north into the northern part of the country, the people that are ultimately going to reject and leave him, hoping for some unity in this act. I don't know that for sure, but Shechem Shechem doesn't have any significance really as a city moving forward beyond this point. Jeroboam's going to be there for a little bit, but Ultimately, Samaria becomes the northern capital, not Shechem. Now, then we get this note about Jeroboam. Jeroboam had caught in on a little bit of the disturbance of the people under King Solomon, and he tried to aggravate that some and ended up fleeing from King Solomon. So you can read about that again in First Kings chapter 11. So he's in Egypt because he had raised his hand against the king, and so he flees. But now, realizing that Solomon is dead, Jeroboam returns. The exile is home. Now, you'll notice Jeroboam, Rehoboam, the names very similar to each other. That ending, am, is the Hebrew word for people. Uh, So, Rehoboam enlarges the people, Jeroboam maybe increases the people uh, in terms of what these names mean. So, very similar even in their Hebrew meanings, in addition to what they look like in English. So the people summon Jeroboam, and he is going to lead them before Rehoboam, the king. And the instruction is simple. What they bring to Rehoboam is a request for an easier load. Solomon did make their yoke heavy. He pushed them hard. He forced labor upon them. And they're asking for that to be overturned, to be undone. If Rehoboam will allow them a lighter burden, they will serve him. That's the request. He asks for three days, King Rehoboam does, to consider the matter so the people return to their homes. And then you get verses 6 through 11, which is the seeking of counsel by King Rehoboam. First, he receives counsel from his father's advisors, so Solomon's advisors, and they advise him to listen to the people. Do what the people have requested. Make their yoke lighter, and they will serve you forever. Rehoboam rejects that wisdom, and he turns instead to his young counselors who had grown up with him and are already standing before him. Notice that in the text in verse 8. And he listens to their advice, which is to make the yoke even more difficult. The The comparison point is the idea of, you know, if you hold up your pinky, hold hold your pinky against your thigh. Right, that's the picture that they, they tell Rehoboam to use, that his... His little fingers thicker than his father's thighs. So much more difficult will Rehoboam make the work of these men. And if that's not bad enough, uh, discipline with scorpions. And scorpion stings, that brings great pain, at least, but possibly death. So not good. This is an easier conversation point to have with the children. Which advice is wise? which of these groups should rehoboam have listened to what answer should he have given the people this ends up taking you down the path of ecclesiastes chapter one and two written by king solomon where he's bemoaning the idea of spending all that time all that labor to make well make wealth and store up for yourself and then when you die who knows the man who comes after you whether he'll be a wise man or a fool And as you read it, and you know about his son Rehoboam who inherits the kingdom from him and then goes forward and loses most of it right away. Immediately we start to think of Rehoboam the fool. But ultimately, again, this is not on Rehoboam. That's what I don't want you to to end up thinking from this text. Yes, Rehoboam is the one that loses most of the kingdom. But it's actually his father's fault, not his. Again, we'll come back to that. Let's continue to finish out the actual text that we have before us today first. And so Jeroboam brings the people back. The king gives them the harsh answer. And the people, the people reject him. Verse 15, the king did not listen to the people. For it was a turn of affairs brought about by God that Yahweh might fulfill his word. Again, we'll come back to that. So the people reject him. They say, what portion have we in David? So David is the king of Judah, the son of Jesse. There's nothing in Judah for the people, and so they're going to go back to their homes. They're going to reject him. Look after yourself, David. It's not calling Rehoboam David, but as the representative of David's throne, you know, see to it yourself. We're done. They have rejected this, and he sends the taskmaster over the forced labor to them, Hadaram, verse 18, and they kill him. At this, Rehoboam recognizes the danger he himself has gotten into, gets on his chariot, flees to Jerusalem. Verse 19, Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. All right, but like I said, we to understand this text best, we have to go to 1 Kings chapter 11. And so let's take you there. And in order to see this, it really it starts at the beginning of chapter 11. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, Hittite women from the nations concerning which Yahweh had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to Yahweh his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh, and did not wholly follow Yahweh as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem, and he did so For all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. And Yahweh was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from Yahweh, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what Yahweh commanded. Therefore Yahweh said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant yet for the sake of david your father i will not do it in your days but i will tear it out of the hand of your son however i will not tear away all the kingdom but i will give one tribe to your son for the sake of david my servant and for the sake of jerusalem that i have chosen so that's the first part of that text jeroboam is going to be introduced later in the text and he will get to hear specifically from one of God's prophets, Ahijah. So this is starting in verse 26 is where Jeroboam's introduced in that whole uh, bit where he's rising up against Solomon as one of those adversaries. But in verse 29, at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah the Shionite found him on the road. Now Ahijah had dressed himself in a new garment and the two of them were alone in the open country. Then Ahijah laid hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces. For thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, Behold, I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon and will give you ten tribes. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the Ammonites, and they have not walked in my ways doing what is right in my sight and keeping my statutes and my rules as David his father did. Nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life. For the sake of David, my servant whom I chose, who kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand, and I will give it to you, ten tribes. Yet to his son I will give one tribe. So I'm just paused pause there. You get the picture, hopefully, from this? It's not Rehoboam's fault that the kingdom falls, even though he's the one that makes the foolish mistake here in the text today. It is Solomon's fault. It is Solomon's pagan worship against God, As he worships all these false gods that brings about the demise of the strength of the nation it's split into two the northern kingdom will go after the false gods actually uh, and they will never repent of doing such a thing whereas the southern kingdom will go back and forth Uh, they will have at least a handful of decent kings who do what is right in the eyes of Yahweh but it's not good so this is this is where you can get to the, the question with your children. Do we always know what God is doing? Again, this text looks slam dunk. It looked easy in verses 6 through 11, like here's just a foolish young king that has cost himself this, but it wasn't. God caused this to happen. The Lord brought about this result. And that should be a, a reminder to us, a teaching point for us, that we don't always know what God's plan is. To see the, the people of God, the kingdom of God, divided, that doesn't seem like something God would have done. And yet here it is. So this is true even to this day. A lot of people rush to decisions and opinions about what's going on in the world and what's going on in global politics and and in a war, who's right, who's wrong. How are we to know how the Lord is working in such affairs? Maybe the nation that we think is, is in the right is actually the nation that the Lord is choosing to judge. It's really difficult to say. And so the goal is to trust God know that he is in control and that he will work things for the good of his people even if that may not feel good here and now the lord will provide and the lord will indeed safeguard his people home he will bring us to paradise that's the goal that's the aim i mean this divided kingdom things are not going to go well after god divides his kingdom Israel and Judah become enemies, and they spend the next several hundred years as enemies. And this is why even when you get to the New Testament time and you get those conversations like how uh, the Jews and the Samaritans don't talk to each other, basically, they hate each other, it goes all the way back to this. Their people have been at war, rebellion, they hate each other. So many... Wicked kings, so much pagan worship will come out of this event. But the Lord divides only to reunite again in one king, the faithful king, the son of David, as we sometimes call him, Jesus Christ, who would come to be the one to save his people and indeed to reunite not only Israel and Judah, north and south kingdoms, but to unite all nations under heaven. Based on the prophecy spoken to Abraham back in the book of Genesis, that through, all, through his descendant, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And Christ, even the Gentiles, get to be part of the church. <laughs>